This episode of Testers Island Discs is sponsored by TestRail. TestRail helps you manage and track your software testing efforts. Its intuitive web-based user interface makes it easy to create test cases, manage test runs, and coordinate your entire testing process. Easily track and follow the status of individual tests, milestones, and projects with dashboards and activity reports. Get real-time insights into your testing progress and boost productivity with personalized to-do lists, filters, and email notifications. Try TestRail for free today by clicking the link in the episode description. Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. everybody and welcome back to another episode of Testers Island Discs where today my special guest on the island is Gabby Trotter. Gabby is the software testing recruitment team lead at Searchability where she helps to place candidates in Yorkshire and the northwest of England. She's also involved with community events including the Ministry of Testing Manchester and the QA Beginners Club and she's also turned her hand to conference speaking having spoken at Testbass Manchester last year with her talk How to Build Your Personal Brand. Welcome to the podcast, Gabby. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Neil. It's a real pleasure. And you're something of a first in that you're the first non-testing guest we've had on the podcast. Uh, You're a a recruiter who recruits specifically for tests. So let's ask the question that I normally ask people in a slightly different way. What was your route into the recruitment industry? Yes. So my route into recruitment, um, I suppose like a lot of people in recruitment, it was a lot of kind of falling into things accidentally. Um, I really would count searchability as my first proper job. Um, I say that kind of in quotation marks. I have had other jobs before, um, but I I pretty much finished up sick form, realised that the path to university wasn't for me and started to kind of have a little look and see what job might suit me out there. I did have a few kind of fails along the way. um, And then I, a lot by coincidence, to be honest, just kind of browsing, um, indeed saw the advert for searchability, came in, had the interview, and I was really blown away um, by Martin, my MD, who interviewed me. Um, And it all, I suppose, just spiralled from there. Um, So I would be lying if I said that I'd kind of identified recruitment as something I'd wanted to do from a young age. Um, But I I do truly feel like I have, you know, found my calling with recruitment. Mm. I really like the the concept of the the idea of recruitment. The fact that you're like a matchmaker, but for for jobs, you you match companies with the people who are perfect for them. And, you know, ideally you find the match made in heaven. I, I guess the one thing that's that's always made me think I could never do it is I feel that there must be a lot of sort of sales and persuasion techniques that you need to use do you need to be quite an extrovert to be able to be comfortable with just approaching people or things like that yeah it's a difficult one because I think a lot of people would from the outside looking in assume that you do have to be very extroverted um in recruitment obviously there's a lot of stereotypes out there you know typical kind of white boy recruiters um I like to to think that's not me at all, to be honest. Um, But yeah, you do need to be confident. You do need to be confident speaking to people. 
And there is that sales element there. I would never really consider myself as a salesperson, but of course I have to sell roles to candidates and I quite often have to sell, I suppose, myself and my services to companies to try and convince them to use me to find their, um, to fill their roles. So I think when I first started this job, I would definitely have described myself as an introvert. I was really quite shy. Um, I didn't have much kind of confidence and self-belief. Um, and that is something that I really kind of built up over the years. Um, I'd still say I'm quite introverted outside of work, but it's almost like I have a persona um, when it comes to work, and especially when I'm involved in community events. I just seem to, to have found my confidence in that. And I think a lot of that comes from, number one, obviously being accepted by the testing community and, you know, being proud that people are even asking me to get involved in things. Um, and I do feel, you know, touch wood six years in now that I, <laughs> I understand enough about what I'm talking about. And obviously that gives you a lot of confidence as well. Because, you know, no one wants to sound stupid. Yeah. I feel like this, there's been almost a, like a, a great reset on on the introvert extrovert status during <laughs> lockdown because no one's been able to get out and do anything. So the extroverts have had to find other uses for their energy. The introverts have been thriving because it's like great. I'm coming another, another day staying in, uh, and I say that as someone who, who identifies as a, as a bit of an introvert. But um, when we talk about about recruitment. Um, Certainly, a lot of the recruiters that I've dealt with have been recruiting for for technology in general, as opposed to being so specific that they deal with um, specifically with software testing. When you joined Searchability, did you have any concept about what software testing was at all? Yeah. So interestingly enough, when I joined Searchability, I had no concept about tech in general. Um, if I'm perfectly honest, I knew obviously tech was a sector, but I didn't even know the basics of, you know, there's development, there's testing, there's support. That was, you know, all a learning curve. Um, for the first, I think, 12 months of being a recruiter, I actually didn't recruit for testers at all. It was all about software development. I worked under another one of the directors, Dan, recruiting for developers in Yorkshire. Um, and that's how I first kind of got my head around recruitment and I suppose got my head around tech to a certain extent. Um I then found that from time to time we would get testing roles in and I particularly enjoyed working on those vacancies um, found a little bit of a niche for it and then kind of put a case forward to um, Martin and said, I would really like to kind of take software development as a market and run with it. So that was completely new to searchability. We'd never had kind of a test specialist before. Um, and again, a lot of that just meant learning on the job because I didn't really have anyone to ask. I had to do kind of all of the research myself um, and a lot of me learning about testing was just speaking to people you know hours on the phone every day just trying to understand what is this job what does it involve um, so yeah I, it was a complete standing start to be honest. Well, it sounds like you landed on your feet and you're, you're really enjoying your time at Searchability. Uh, I, I know a lot of the things that even even we as testers look for is obviously like company fit and company culture. Uh, and I know you, you've just returned from a lot of companies have have company away days. You've had an mm -hmm. away day with a difference. Yes. Yeah. So this is one thing about recruitment as an industry, obviously, again, with it being sales, there is a lot of incentives. Um, of course, you know, your personal incentives, but also company wide ones. Um, so I think I've been on four holidays now with Searchability, um, which obviously a lot of my friends who are not in recruitment and family, you know, everyone finds that such a crazy concept that we get taken on holiday by work. But yeah, Definitely one of the perks um, of being in recruitment is there is some really amazing incentives. 
Yeah, it sounds it. Well, we're going to take advantage of having you here and rested and relaxed. We're going to have an insightful chat today about what candidates could do to present themselves in a better light and also what companies can do for you as a recruiter uh, when they're trying to advertise a role. But before we do that, let's talk about the reason why you're here. You have crash landed on this desert island. Let's call it your fifth holiday. uh, And you've been allowed to bring five songs with you, which best represent either your favorite music or or things that, that are important to you. Can you tell us about your first song today, Gabby? Yeah, so the, the all the songs that I picked are kind of, you know, favourite songs that I listen to regularly, but I tried to get a bit of a theme in there. So we went with a strong female artist theme. Um, and obviously, who springs to mind when you think about that? It's, of course, Beyonce. Um, so this is probably my favourite song by Beyonce. And I think it's just a really feel good song. Beyonce all night. So many people I know that they just trying to touch you. That was Beyonce with All Night. Now, Things have changed in the world dramatically in the past 18 months. That almost seems pointless to say now, but I'm very curious uh, as, as to what the recruitment market has, has been doing. I, I know how it se- seemed to me from the outside. Um, for instance, from my own personal perspective, uh, in the beginning, I, I felt a reluctance to move, particularly during a time when things like furloughs were going on and you were never sure how secure your job was going to be. So there, there was a real reluctance to, to change anything. Um, and then, of course, there, there were layoffs, particularly when the furlough process has, has changed around a bit. But um how have you felt in terms of you know the, the market flux? Has it felt like a weird 18 months? Yes, it, it definitely has. And it's crazy because, it, you know, it's still only been a short while of time. Um, but you already start to forget kind of how it actually really felt at the time when everything first happened. Um, I remember those first couple of months um, in terms of when we first went into the full lockdown, you know, it was terrifying. If I'm honest, I was really quite frightened for my job and I was quite frightened about what the future held because, you know, as I say, I'd only ever done recruitment um, and all of a sudden no one wanted to recruit anyone. Um, I had clients that pulled offers, so I'd have to call the candidates and say, oh, that job that we thought we got you, it's not there anymore. I mean, it was it was horrendous. Um, and obviously, we, you know, we were really kind of fighting for our lives for a few months there in terms of just trying to get kind of any placements, any revenue that we could. Um, things obviously then started to even out a little bit more once furlough was announced and people kind of got in the rhythm of um, getting everyone set up to work remotely. Um, but yeah, then that next wave of difficulty came, as you said there, because I know how it felt to be worried for my job. Would I then have moved jobs at such an uncertain time? So initially, really, the only people we were placing were the people that had unfortunately either been let go or had been put on furlough and kind of thought, you know, Mm. job before we're pushed sort of. Um, So it took a really long time to come back to the point where just people wanted to move again just because people want to move jobs, not because it was kind of a necessity. Um, And I still think now there's still that under lying wave of you know people are still more nervous than they ever were before about what it actually means to to move jobs and be you know suddenly a newbie in a team instead of Mm. a loyal employee that's been there for years so yeah I think that's that little kind of undertone is going to be here to stay for a while 
Yeah, and we talked about this a bit last month with Chris Armstrong uh, about how everyone sort of freezing in in their current positions during lockdown has, has kind of made people appreciate what is or isn't important to them in their role. Uh, and, and one of the, the big topics, obviously, that, that everyone is now aware of is remote working or or some some amount of flexible working or wanting to work from home, you know, more than they were before. Is that something that you've observed as well? Is, is, that, is it more of a, a talking point when, when you're approaching people about roles? Is, is you know, the remote working question coming up a lot? Yes, it is. I think it's got to the point really where I don't even wait for a candidate to broach it. It's part of my initial qualification. Do you work remotely now? You know, how many days if you do go into the office, are you looking for full remote or how many days are you willing to go in the office um, in a new job? I'm kind of already on the presumption and it's right with nine times out of 10, the candidates I'm speaking with that they either want 100% remote or they want hybrid. I think I probably could count on one hand the amount of candidates that I've spoke to that now that say, you know, five days a week, I'm happy to go in every single day. It is absolutely, you know, a rarity. So, yeah, I would say, you know, it's a complete shift. I, You know, before the pandemic, if someone wanted a fully remote role, that was almost like a very rare case. Um, and, you know, it was like, right, who do we know that hires fully remote people? And it'd be a very short list, to be honest. And I guess there are other aspects of roles that perhaps were a rarity in the past, but are now becoming more common. I know one thing that is being trialled, certainly in Europe, and I think Scotland are starting soon, is the idea of a four-day work week. Again, because the pandemic has made people realise uh, the way they want to balance their priorities or their lives. Um, that, that's less common in the UK right now, though, isn't it? Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I think that um, that is somewhere that we are quite far behind. Um, and, you know, it's not one company that's to blame. I think it's more of um, a cultural kind of shift that needs to take place um, quite often as well. I do find um, that it is women that I speak to that obviously have kind of outside of work commitments, whether that be with family or it could be anything across the spectrum, looking for either part-time work or four-day working week. Um, and yeah, it is hit with a lot of brick walls, to be honest. A lot of companies mm. not really willing to have the conversation um, and to kind of entertain that. So I think that is somewhere where we need to see a change because, um, as you say, the, the appetite is out there. People do want to have these shorter working weeks and more flexibility. So I think that's hopefully touch with the next wave that we're going to see. Yeah, if there's ever going to be a time, I, I guess it would be now. I guess the challenge for companies is that it's all very well offering a four day working week, but you're still paying your office rent for four five working days. Yeah, definitely. So I think... I think it's an educational piece like the whole remote working was. I think it's the fear of if we change things, are we going to see a drop in productivity? Um, but the only way that you learn and see if things work is you've got to you've got to give it a go, I suppose. So it'll just take a few a few companies to, to bring that in and people being vocal about it. And hopefully that will bring on the change. But as things slowly return to normal, I guess we've still all had to adapt to to the the new elements of, of recruitment that we never had to deal with before, like the Zoom interview. Uh, have you had to learn uh, ways to coach candidates through that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. So the Zoom interview and the whole video interview um, thing is, is quite a hot topic of conversation, as you can imagine, um, you know, in the office with us recruiters. Um, I prefer it and I'll tell you why for a couple of reasons. I have found that my rate of people 
cancelling last minute or dropping out of interviews has massively decreased because obviously it is a lot more accessible and convenient to join a video interview than to, you know, take a bus or a train or drive and physically turn up in an interview. Um, Obviously, there's a few things that can go wrong. um, And I just try and be um, I, I probably, what's the word, not baby candidates, but I try not to, but just really go through all of the basics, you know, simple things like lighting, microphone, what you're wearing. Again, it can't be helped too much, but trying to find somewhere quiet in the house. Um, so yeah, that, that's been interesting to get our head around. Um, on the flip side as well, what we have found um, with the shift to video interviewing is a candidate before could maybe do at most two interviews in a day if he, they, he she had to attend in person. We're seeing people now literally back to back in video interviews. So people's choices in terms of the employers that they can look at because of remote working, but then the amount of interviews they can fit in because they're on video, um, it's made for some quite interesting changes in the market. And it's very, I mean, I don't know whether you've had to be part of a hiring process recently, but candidates are spoiled for choice um, and they go off the market very, very quickly. Yeah, and obviously obviously, video interviews are an unavoidable part of the process at the moment, but they, they do yeah. help reveal some useful insights about candidates because particularly when it, while for a lot of us, you know, we, we're working remotely for the foreseeable or, or, or more than we used to, uh, mm. being able to d- display the ability to communicate clearly when there's lag, when there's maybe some people with the cameras on, some people with them off, um, when there's, you know, um, interruptions during the call. Uh, I, I think it's it's, uh, it's it's a new whole, a whole new set of soft skills we never knew we needed before. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, of course, especially when you are getting these remote or hybrid roles, it is a red flag when you speak to someone who says, oh, I'm not really comfortable on video or I'm not comfortable, you know, presenting something over video because, you know, as you say, that is going to be part of their day to day, um, especially those in, you know, management or leadership roles. It's it's so important to be comfortable um, across the medium of being face to face, but also video. Mm. And we're going to go on to talk about more hot tips if you're looking to either find a job or if you're setting out to start recruiting for a role. So uh, get yourself a pen, everybody. We'll wait for you. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, uh, Gabby will tell us about her second song choice. Yes. So we have got Lana Del Rey Video Games, another strong female artist, in my opinion, and another one of my absolute favourite songs. So hopefully everyone will enjoy this one as well. It's you, it's you, it's all for you Everything I do, tell you all the time Heaven is a place on earth with you Tell me all the things you want to do I heard that you like the bad girls, honey Is that true? It's better than I ever even knew they say that the world was built for two Only with living if somebody is loving you Baby, now you do Singing in the old bars, swinging with the old stars, living for the fame Kissing in the blue dark, playing pool and wild dots, video games He holds me in his big arms, drunk and I am seeing stars, this is all I think of 
Watching all our friends falling in and out of all pulse. This is my idea of fun. Playing video games. That was Video Games by Lana Del Rey. Now, you mentioned at the start, Gabby, that there are certain stereotypes that persist about recruiters. Uh, I, th- I think, I don't know whether stereotypes is the word, because certainly mm-hmm. I've encountered a few of these types. Certainly, for example, people who reach out to your LinkedIn and are, are very bullshit will say things like, so when's the best time for me to call then? That sort of thing. Um, what is the secret to approaching candidates, particularly if you're approaching them cold, um, without coming across as one of those stereotypes? Yes, maybe stereotypes is the wrong word. Maybe generalizations would be a little bit of a better word because I completely agree, you know, there is people out there that are approaching it um, in the wrong way. So yeah, the secret I would say, and there there is no one size fits all approach. I really do try my best to always be as understanding and put myself in the candidate's shoes, but I still get it wrong sometimes. I think I'm being really quite mild and polite and I'll have people say that I'm harassing them. So, you know, (laughs) you're never going to please everyone. But I would say, yeah, it's all about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. If I received this text or if I received this call at this time, would I be happy with that? Would I feel that was inappropriate? I try and start, unless someone has explicitly stated otherwise, every kind of interaction with the candidate on the phone, I do just prefer that because I feel like gets... I get a better feel for them and they get a better feel for me and hopefully build a bit of trust. Um, likewise, though, I've had people tell me that they prefer all communication to be over text. And I've literally gone through, you know, processes where I've maybe spoke, you know, for a second on a phone with someone. And it doesn't matter if they get the end result they're looking after. And likewise, for myself, um, Twitter, Slack, I'm really happy, I suppose, to adapt. Um, but it is all about listening Um And I think that that is the bugbear of most candidates is feeling like their needs and wants are being ignored um, and pushed to a side. So I think it's just all about open communication and saying, right, hopefully I'm going to find you a job throughout this process. When can I call you? When can't I call you? Would you you prefer text? And just getting that all out of the way up front. Um, But as I say, no one's perfect. And I'm sure there's still people out there that I've inadvertently annoyed over the years. Yeah. Well, for, for any given role, I guess you only need to get it right once. And as long as you're communicating with people and giving them the key information, both about the role and the sort of person someone's looking for, if someone says, no, that's not a match for me, um, then yeah. it's not a match for them. And if, if, if it is, then they're great. And, and, you, and you've got that across. So, um, but I think it's unfair for the, the blame to be laid at the feet of, of recruiters entirely in this process, because it is a two-way street. And, and sometimes candidates or people who are dipping their toe in the market don't always do the best jobs of, of making themselves presentable. Um, what are the biggest things that you think that a candidate can do to help make themselves look uh, more presentable for a new role? So I think it all depends, again, whether you're kind of looking passively or whether you're, you you really need a new job and you're kind of actively looking on the market. Obviously, kind of the starting point would be to have pulled together kind of a pretty comprehensive CV. So I think that's the the main bugbear a lot of candidates have is being approached for things that aren't relevant. So the best way I would say to prevent that um, is to make sure that your CV is a reflection up to date of your skills, but also what it is that you are looking for. So then in theory, um, you will only be contacted about things that are suitable for yourself. Uh, and feel free to put on your CV or on your LinkedIn profile your contact um, details or your contact preferences. So how would you ideally like someone to reach out to you if they did have a suitable vacancy Um, because obviously 
you know, no one, no one out here is a mind reader, and um, we can only act on the information we have. So I think as long as that's kind of transparent both ways, that will help massively. Um, mm. And put contact details on there. I know that some people don't for this exact reason. They, you know, they they don't want to be contacted. But if you are looking for a job, the only way I can tell you about what I have is getting in touch. And um, there's nothing more frustrating than finding a great CV but zero contact details. Um, so something to be aware of, definitely. I guess when it comes to candidates, at least there is the benefit of the the concept of the CV, and that the CV has a generally, you know, a relatively static format. I know people could do interesting things with them, but you know, there are certain things that you expect to find on there and you expect to write on there. I think if you flip it around and, and look at the adverts that companies are putting together when they are hiring mm. there is there's more variety there and i use that word in a slightly pejorative sense in that you know they, there's some good there's some bad um i know there are some companies that, that need to, to work harder to make their ads come across as more inclusive and diverse but yeah. um in, in general if, if a company is coming to you because they have a position to fill um again without without pointing to any one company in, in particular what are things that you think companies in general should be doing better or more of before they approach you i think a lot of the time it is due to with adverts and i don't know whether this maybe is more um relevant to bigger companies but sometimes i will find that the person who's actually hiring for the role hasn't really had much involvement at all with the advert and then when you actually get past um the gatekeeper as we call them in the recruitment world so whoever that might be and speak to the hiring manager things can vary so massively um so if you can and if time allows it actually getting the person who's hiring to get involved with writing the job advert i really like a nice to have and a desirables um kind of checklist as well as the key needs for the role because i think so often you see you know shopping list job adverts that literally will list every technology and every tooling under the sun and then again when you actually speak to the person who's hiring there might be one or two that they need to have and the rest are nice to haves um and you're alienating so so many people by just not taking the time to make it clear on your advert what it is you're looking for and a lot of the time when we work with companies to be honest i will then advertise as part of the service the role and I'll write the advert based on the conversation I've had with the hiring manager. And they can look quite different, but you would, wouldn't quite believe we are hiring for the same role. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of cutting through the noise um, and just making sure that it's clear to candidates um, what it'll involve. Um, and I think transparency around from the get-go um, what your remote working policy is. If you can, I know some companies still can't for silly reasons put a salary on, but I think salary is so important. Benefits. People need to know this information early doors because, you know, no one wants to waste their time going through the process for a role to find that it doesn't pay enough or it doesn't allow them to work from home or it doesn't offer them the pension they're looking for. So, yeah, Mm. transparency from the get go. And if your benefits package isn't great and that's why you're not putting it on there, you can't hide from that forever. They're going to find out when it gets to (laughs) offer stage. So just get it on there and wear it with pride, even if it's awful. (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm going to throw a question in here because on my uh, one of my other podcasts, Tech Team Weekly, we added a discussion about salary disclosure in a recent episode. And one of the bugbears when I'm looking at roles is when companies list their salary as competitive. And mm-hmm. I find that it either means they're saying it because um, it's not competitive and they want to find out, you know, how 
low they could pitch you. You know, if, if, if they get to hear your figure first, then maybe they can come in yeah. a number slightly lower than they might do otherwise. Is, is there a reason why why companies tend to say things like competitive? Yeah, there is. And unfortunately, nine times out of 10, in my experience, the reason that companies won't be forthcoming with a salary is fear of repercussions internally. So essentially, mm-hmm. they won't want their current employees to get wind of what they're willing to pay a new person if they're not willing to pay them um, that salary. So I would say that is the vast majority of the time, the reason why they won't publish salaries. Um I will never work a role without knowing a salary. I may rarely be asked not to disclose that salary on an advert. Um, but yeah, I make it my utmost priority. I need to know what the salary is or I really can't do my job. Um, and I'm obviously always transparent with the candidates, what the role is up to. Obviously, sometimes it might be the case of the role is up to 60. Obviously, for a candidate like yourself, you might not be coming in and ticking all the boxes. So you might not reach that 60. But just again, being open and transparent um, and just arming people with as much information as possible. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty interesting that it's 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 primarily an internal thing. I certainly I have been in companies before where I have seen the adverts that we're um, that we're putting out. And I'm like, well, I wish I was on that figure. <laughs> so, so perhaps it's understandable in a way. Uh, but again, the solution to that, I think, is achieving pay equality for all within, within an organization. Um, I'll put a link to that Tech Team Weekly episode in the show notes because we, we did get into a, a deep discussion about that with uh, with fellow tester Gwen Diagram on that episode. Well, we'll swing back around to talk about the art of the job hunt in the near future. Uh, but in the next section, we're going to go on to talk more about uh, personal branding, which has been a hot topic on this podcast of late. Before we do that, um, your third song choice, always a favourite artist of mine. Take it away. Yes, so I have got Taylor Swift, Wildest Dreams next. And I must admit, I wasn't always a Taylor Swift fan. Um, But I watched her Netflix documentary, which I would highly recommend for anyone that hasn't seen it. And it made me see her in a whole different light. So yeah, fair to say I am now a big Taylor Swift fan. So this is Wildest Dreams. For the second time in three episodes, that's Taylor Swift, this time with Wildest Dreams, uh, a song which she's just re-released with the moniker Taylor's version. Uh, If you haven't heard, um, due to her falling out with her previous record label, she's currently going through and re-recording her entire back catalogue from scratch so that she can maintain the rights to it, uh, which is a really bold and brave move and the sort of thing that only Taylor Swift could really do. Uh, And I I second what Gabby was saying about that documentary uh, on Netflix. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, It's uh, incredible. Always time for Taylor Swift here. So this is one of these really unlikely coincidences that I couldn't have planned if I'd actually tried. It may look like I've planned it, but I haven't. For several of the recent episodes, I've had Sam Connolly and I've had Beth Marshall talking about the concept of of building your personal brand. And this is something that, Gabby, you spoke about at at Test Bash last year. Uh, And actually, that was uh, one of the the first times during lockdown that I saw a really good online talk on the subject. So for those uh, who are new to the concept and who haven't listened to previous episodes of the podcast, when you're trying to build your own personal brand, um, where do you start? 
Yeah, great question. Um, so me and Beth have actually spoke a lot about personal branding um, in the run up to the test fast talk. And it's something we still talk about um, quite regularly. So for me, personal branding was something that I did without even knowing what I was doing or what it was called. It was just kind of something that I started when I started in recruitment. And I suppose it's been in kind of recent years that I've realized what I've done um, and what it is. But personal branding is basically the concept of building, you know, brand Gabby or brand Neil. So that is not about you and what company you're working for, what project you're working on, your brand, personal brand transcends all of that. And that is um, a big part of your personal brand is reputation, and how people perceive you. So if I was to, to leave my job tomorrow, I would still have the Gabby Trotter personal brand. Um, and I suppose that's why there's value in investing in it. Yeah, and there, there are many different ways that which you could build that brand. One of the, the best ways is, is to create content and put it out there. And personally, as someone with a, a background in English and journalism, that's that's something I've always really enjoyed doing. It's like, yeah, sure, I'll sit down and write a thousand words on what I think about X, Y, Z. Uh, but writing isn't for everybody. They've either not got the time or the interest. Um, how do you go about building a brand if if that's not really your your area of interest? Yeah, that, that's a good question. It's something I talk about a lot with um, the other recruiters that I work with. Um, again, up until recently, I hadn't really kind of put two and two together. But for my A-levels, I, I also did English. I did history, which included a lot of essay writing. And I did media, which is obviously, you know, a form of content creating. So that probably set me up quite well to get started. If you don't kind of have that background or you don't class yourself as creative, it can be a little bit harder and a bit more daunting. I think my top tip to get started is just involving yourself in in the right conversations and the right places. You don't necessarily need to put pressure on yourself to be coming up with unique content or even having anything particularly interesting to say. You're just getting your face out there. And then once you build a bit of confidence, add some commentary in, whether it's commenting on someone else's article or posing a question and letting things spiral from there. And you will naturally identify different things that you're interested in and more confident in talking about. Um, but, it, you know, personal brand, it has to be authentic. It has to be natural. If you find that you're trying to force yourself to write something on a topic you're not interested about or force yourself to put, um, you know, up, start a podcast or whatever it might be, um, it's just there's no longevity in it. Um, so it's all about finding something that you're genuinely interested in talking about. Yeah, and I guess there are other ways you can create content uh, and put your thoughts out there that doesn't involve writing them down, uh, particularly in the the audio audio visual space. You can you know throw a video and embed it in a tweet these days. Uh, there are services that we've spoken about in the past like Racket, which is an audio only platform where you can just hit record, say some words, and then it's published. Um, the, the most important thing, like I say, is is getting the content out there and associating with you, so that when people hear your name, they say, "Oh, I remember you had that you know twenty minute talk you did on." A topic that's really important to us yeah definitely I think you know blogging is is has its place and obviously there's a lot of people who blogging has really elevated their careers and their platform um but you know don't feel that you have to to always be adding in original context it can be really hard to, to come up with things you can still have a brand um that extends beyond that and especially if you're getting involved in your brand um so 
I'm trying to think of a good example, Lee Rathbone, who I would say he has an excellent personal brand. I know he's pulled together a few blogs in the past, but that's not necessarily his niche at all. His personal brand has kind of come about from being approachable, someone who's active in the community. He's someone who tweets a lot about kind of, um, he tweets quite a lot about recruitment and CVs. He tweets about, I'm going to get it wrong now, I think it's Aston Villa. You know, that's part it of his yep. as well. So yeah, you know, don't feel like you have to be crafting perfect blog posts or YouTube videos. A lot of it is just about being yourself as well. Yeah, and creating the opportunities for yourself to do that. And a really good way to do that is to to blog internally. You know, if you have a company blog, uh, these platforms tend to always be looking for content. I'm in a situation at the moment where um, I'm creating some content for Postman. Obviously, I've done some webinars recently, but um, they've asked me to put together a blog post for them, like a like a multi-thousand word blog post potentially. Uh, and I began that by thinking, well, I haven't got the free time to do that. And my boss pointed out to me, well, you don't need the free time. It's is work. You could do it in your work hours. You know, take time aside and, and do that. And so that's effectively free time for me to create content that I wouldn't necessarily do otherwise. Yeah, definitely. And I see that um, a lot more now with companies being really encouraging um, to individuals who either, as you say, you know, are creating content or people that do want to get more involved in the community and, you know, need time to leave early to get to meetups or days off for conferences. Um, So if that's something you're passionate about, make sure that you're asking any prospective companies you might be joining, you know, will they support you in that journey as well? But one of the challenges, no doubt, is, as you said, the sort of the being able to sustain that. And, and one way to do that is to make sure that you're um, that you're posting about things that you're passionate about, because then it will come more naturally. Uh, but there is a challenge sometimes to to find and make the time to to create that content. Uh, I am someone who is guilty, as I'm often tweeting about, about how I feel like I'm doing all the things. Uh, <laughs> I'm currently fighting off a terrible cold, which is definitely not COVID. That it definitely is just me being really run down because I'm doing too much. Um, that there's a real challenge there of like you know you, you do need downtime definitely and this is something that the pandemic again has kind of forced on us I know for myself pre-pandemic um, and I do miss it so it, you know there's a double-edged sword but I was out and about a hell of a lot with um, client meetings meeting candidates tech events which would mean driving from I'm based in Chester Chester to Leeds uh, Leeds to Manchester back again you know a lot of late nights a lot of hours on the road um and I think that I was probably overdoing it. Um, and I think that having that time during the pandemic to reset massively helped. And I'm probably doing less now. But as you say, the things that I'm doing, I'm really passionate about. And as because I'm passionate, I'll, I'll make the time, however hard it might be, um, with everything else that goes on in life. And we'll talk a bit more about how and when you build this brand after we hear about your penultimate song choice. So my fourth song is Ribs by Lord, obviously another female artist. Um, I like the fact that she's a younger female artist as well. That resonates with me quite a lot, I suppose, being younger when I started my recruitment career. And um, Ribs always makes me feel really nostalgic as well. We can talk it so good. We can make it so divine. We can talk it good how you wish it would be all the time.
that was Lord with Ribs. Now, when you're creating a personal brand, Gabby, um, you should do this, I guess, in quite a proactive fashion. You, you don't want to start setting out to create a brand when you're already looking for a job. Um, so what sort of activities can people do when they're already comfortable within a role? Maybe they're not actively looking right now to help prepare them for, you know, if, if the worst should suddenly happen, like, like Chris Armstrong was talking about in our last episode. Yes, definitely. I think it it is something that should be an ongoing process and it's probably best born out of a place of you not being in need of something from it. So if you're starting your personal brand because you need a job, you are more likely um, to, to, I suppose, not be less authentic, but obviously, understandably, the the urgency is there. So what I would say when you're comfortable in a role, um, beyond personal brand, first of all, the top tip, I would just say, However much you love your job, however much you might see yourself working there forever, do me a favor, just keep a CV up to date in the background. You never know what might happen. And when the worst does happen, sometimes it can be really hard to then think back about what you've been doing for the past X amount of years at a company. So just keep it up to date in the background. Um, And then I would say just focus all about um, building that network out. So obviously you're getting your content out, but who do you actually want to see it? So is there any particular peers or is there anyone particularly in the industry that you kind of want to get on the radar of and introduce yourself again when you don't have anything to gain from it because I think that is something that annoys all of us as friendly as we can all be is when you get a message from someone and it's straight into them asking something of you um so make the effort to reach out to these people hopefully before you then ask them for any help that you might need in the future um I think you know we've probably all seen it with people in the community that have um lost jobs maybe throughout the pandemic if you see someone um and you know that they're you know really nice person they've given back to the community and they've been around for a while you're so much more likely to retweet and really go out of your way to try and help them on their journey um so investing in your network as an ongoing process yeah that whole um the rise of of social media and and how online networking plays into modern job hunting came, came in really into light with chris armstrong in the last episode I've actually spoken to people before who say that they don't even look at CVs anymore, that they'll only use either their existing network or, you know, putting stuff on LinkedIn and saying, you know, come to me. Um, Do you think traditional CVs are ever going to totally disappear? I don't think so. I think you are always going to have people who have invested in themselves, invested in their brand, who will naturally never struggle to find a new role. But I don't think you will ever bypass the need to have a CV. It may have less importance as time goes on, um, but I would say it's always a useful tool to have. And I know it's often used as a talking point at interview. So I would say, especially for new people in the industry. So obviously, I, I do quite a lot with QA Beginners Club. I will always say to people wanting to break into testing, as well as the CV, have your Um, activity on socials but put that link back to that on your CV but for them they will not get a job without a strong CV it's just not going to happen unless they kind of have a referral or an in which not everyone is lucky enough to do so Mm. it's a long-winded answer but yeah in in short I don't think we will see you know death of CVs quite yet yeah, I, th- I think the CV is, is a really useful foot in the door, particularly if you're doing something that I've always promoted, which is you should always tailor your CV to the specific role that you're applying to so that, you know, the five bullet points that you've put against your last job, 
should be the five that are going to be most appealing to the job you're applying for. Now, maybe you've got in the back of your head, you know, 20 or 30 of those bullet points effectively, but you can't put them all on the CV. And that's where I think CVs and like LinkedIn can can work hand in hand because you could put as much stuff as you like on LinkedIn. You could use the CV to tempt people to look at LinkedIn to to find more. Um, I I saw Chris George uh, on writing on LinkedIn that he he was fed up of looking at, he said 36 page CVs. And to be honest, I can't tell whether he's being facetious or not because I, I could believe that he, someone could put an actual 36-page CV in front of him. Yeah, um, I have seen some really, really long CVs. A lot of the time, actually, interestingly enough, it tends to be contractors because, you know, they have just worked at so many places. Um, but, yeah, there's is that, I think, I don't know who came up with it, this two-page CV rule. I don't agree with that. I think as long as everything is relevant a CV can be longer. Um, But I must admit, one of my favourite parts to look at at a CV is kind of the opening statement. And I really like looking at the hobby section as well. I just feel (laughs) like you really get a feel for a person. Um, So you can always expand on things at interview and at CV review. So try not to to overload people with information. It's a it's a cutthroat world out there and hiring managers are going to be looking at, you know, maybe hundreds of CVs to hire for one role. So try and make yourself i know it's hard as interesting as possible on that that few pieces of paper yeah i'm definitely at the tipping point in my career now in that i also believe in the concept of a cv should ideally be two pages but i can't fit everything that i've done uh, you know just in terms of like dates and companies and locations and then you know even two or three bullet points uh, i've worked for too many places to get out to two sides anymore as we were saying, it's more just a, a glimpse into who you are and, and you know, that, that foot in the door. And maybe it gets people to open up your social accounts or look at your LinkedIn and uh, fingers crossed, open up an opportunity for you. Yes, definitely. I think don't be afraid to basically whatever you think you want people to see, make sure that is linked at the top of your CV. Um, I think a lot of people uh, are afraid to do that sometimes and link people to social media accounts. Um, but I, I really like to see that. And I guess one of the things that's happened recently on LinkedIn in a pandemic world uh, that must have made your job slightly easier is LinkedIn now has this the concept of a, a badge that you could put on your profile. And one of them is literally you could put open to work, you know, come get me. Uh, that's that's a really useful thing to put on there. Uh, or, or, you know, as Chris Armstrong was talking about in, in the last episode, you know, posting on social media and say, you know, I've suddenly found myself in need of a job. Can anyone help? We've seen the community be brilliant in situations like that, but it must be difficult to to put yourself out and be vulnerable uh, like that. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I know that it does take a lot of courage. And I get a lot of people approaching me um, who have maybe been struggling with their job hunts. Um, so whether that be they've had a bit of a career back gap and they're struggling to get back into things or they're just at a junior level and no one's willing to give them a chance. Um, and it is really hard to, to ask for help. And I always appreciate that when people reach out to me and I try my utmost to give everyone as much kind of time and help as possible um, and I know a lot of others kind of in this test community that's so great will do the same um, I obviously have to deal with a lot of kind of rejection as a recruiter as well from people um, at me trying to work with companies and them saying no so my advice would be the worst things someone can do hopefully if they do any worse then you know they're just a horrible person but the worst thing people can do is say no um and nine times out of ten that's over a screen as well and I know rejection Mm. still hurts but 
you know, you have to take a few knockbacks. And if the worst thing that happens is someone says no, then, you know, at least you tried. So it's okay to, to put yourself out there and ask for help. Yeah, and I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you're already familiar enough with the test community and with the Ministry of Testing to know that it is an open and welcoming space uh, that you can post in, uh, either on the club forums or, you know, tag a friend on Twitter and uh, and, and see what happens. Um, or, of course, contact your local recruiter. And if you're in, in the Yorkshire or Northwest region, then that is you, Gabby. Um, before we do all the wrapping up part, though, um, your fifth and final song choice today. Yes, so I thought I would go out with a bit of a bang, a bit of an upbeat one. Um, so it is Sierra Level Up. I wouldn't say Sierra is one of my favourite artists, but I love this song. It always makes me feel very motivated after a long day at work. Um, and hopefully you'll feel the same after a long podcast. They gotta never settle. This view is so much better. I'm chilling, I'm winning, like on another level. Oh, you can talk all you want. See me as the prayer, nothing I'm afraid of, and I can have it all. Five, four, three, two, one. Finishing us off there, that's Ciara, Chiara, I'm not sure, with <laughs> Level Up, which brings us to the end of a very interesting and very different podcast. Thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast with us, Gabby. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always really touched, and I was the same with Tess Bash when I get invited into these things that I suppose I would just think were exclusively for testers. It makes me feel like I really belong, so I really appreciate it. Uh, if people would like to get in touch with you either uh, to talk about the concept of personal branding or if they're in your region and are looking for uh, work or advice, uh, where's the best place for them to do that? So you can search for me on LinkedIn. I'm Gabby Trotter on LinkedIn and I'm perhaps most active on Twitter where I am Gabability. So hopefully you can spell that out and find me. <laughs> It will be in the show notes along with everything else we've spoken about. We're also now finally getting back to the point in the world where I could say things like, have you got anything interesting coming up? Yeah, so funnily enough, um, obviously during lockdown um, and up until really recently, actually, we have been doing all of our QA Beginners Club, which is our meetup for juniors or people wanting to get into testing online. But we've just, just started having half capacity um, in-person meetups. So they will be every, uh, I think it's the last Wednesday of every month. If you're in and around Manchester, we'd love to see you in person. If not, we are still streaming them on Zoom. So that's QA Beginners Club. Fantastic. And if you'd like to get hold of the podcast, we are at Testers Island on Twitter. We've got two episodes left to go in the year. The next episode is going to be another slightly different one. We've got uh, Kelly Kenyon joining us, who's a junior tester. We've not had any juniors before. I'm really interested to find out how she's finding coming into the testing industry. And then we're going to round out the year with a something I'm calling the, the community all request special, I think. I think that's the name I came up with. Uh, where I'm going to give you a chance to anyone out there uh, have their say on the podcast. Stay tuned uh, at the end of November to find out more about what's going on with those. But it only leaves me to say um, it's been an absolute pleasure, Gabby. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. And we will see you all at the end of November. Two to go. See you then. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing, written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. 
follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. 